And so, Lord God, we ask that you would cause us, that you would help us to preach. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 40, to the choir master. So this was to be sung by the choir. To the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited. Don't you hate waiting? I mean, seriously, you think to yourself, somebody needs to do something. Somebody needs to, to do something. Uh, I hate waiting. It just seems so wrong. And don't you hate waiting, especially for a preacher that's making a point about waiting by purposefully waiting? You think to yourself, I understand the concept of waiting. But waiting isn't something that's only a concept. It's like an empty, helpless feeling deep in your gut. Verse 1, I waited patiently. <laughs> Literally, in the Hebrew, it's I waited, waited. So it should probably be translated, I waited and waited. We don't know if David waited uh, patiently. I especially hate waiting for patience. It's the worst thing to wait for. I waited and waited for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction. That's a synonym for Sheol, which is often translated hell. He drew me up out of the miry clay or the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Four times in the Psalms, five times in the Old Testament, we're literally commanded to sing a new song. Two times David says that he sings a new song. Have you ever written a song? Vince has. So this week at, at staff, I asked him, Vince, how do you do it? Where do new songs come from? And he said, well, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of weird because you don't really write them you kind of like wait for them. It's like they come from someplace beyond you, out, outside of you, that's, that's not you. So you have to like get out of the way for that new song to, to happen. Well, last time we learned that you should not put your trust in princes or vinces. Remember? Remember that's what we said. What I think that means is that Vince can't write your new song for you because then it wouldn't, it wouldn't be new, right? Vince can't write your new song for you, but in order to write it, you're probably gonna have to wait for it, just like Vince. I suspect the new song refers to anything creative that you might do, including the new you. How do you do the new you? Well, anyway, that's the way it is with me and sermons. I'll sit in my office all day crying out to God, reading books, literally banging my head against the desk. Then all at once, ideas just like drop into my brain. 
Madeline Lingle wrote this, but when the words mean even more than the writer knew that they meant, then the writer has been listening. And sometimes when we listen, we are led into places we do not expect, into adventures we do not always understand. In other words, to write a new song, you have to surrender control. And I think that's why so many great songs seem to have been written by outcasts and slaves, or at least by people who have truly suffered. To wait is to suffer. It's to surrender your will to the will of another. It wasn't long ago that I started listening to the Blues Channel, and I realized that all my favorite songs hadn't really been written by young white men like Elvis Presley, but old black men who sang the blues. Men who had suffered, men who'd been forced to wait. Now, I may be oversimplifying, but it does seem that the best art and greatest music comes through people like Beethoven, who was going deaf, or Friedrich Handel, who was destitute when he wrote The Messiah, or Vincent van Gogh, who wrestled with insanity, or Renoir, who was so crippled by arthritis that he had to tape the paintbrush to his hand in order to keep painting. King David wrote most of the Psalms, but he wasn't always king. He had been a, sh a shepherd. And after he became king, he often spoke just like, like, a, like a slave. For about a decade as a young man, he lived as an outcast and an outlaw, misunderstood, reviled, hunted by King Saul, hiding in caves. Samuel the prophet had anointed him as a young man, maybe 13, 14 years old, and said that he would be king, king of Israel. But having experienced great victories like slaying Goliath, having experienced great victories, David had to suffer the most humiliating defeats and wait, and wait, and wait, and wait. In his little biography of David, describing that time in his life, Gene Edwards writes this. He had less now than he had when he was a shepherd. For now he had no lyre, no, no harp, no son, not even the company of sheep. The memories of the court had faded. David's greatest ambition now reached no higher than a shepherd's staff. Everything was being crushed out of him. He sang a great deal and matched each note with a tear. How strange, is it not? what suffering begets. There in those caves, drowned in the sorrow of his song and in the song of his sorrow, David very simply became the greatest hymn writer and the greatest comforter of broken hearts this world shall ever know. Hmm. Well, you have been commanded to sing a new song. In the Revelation, the 144,000 who are a picture of us, they sing a new song. They are those that have come out of the great tribulation, ransomed from the earth. In Revelation 5, all creation sings a new song. It's the song of salvation. So we each must sing a new song, and yet all creation sings a, a, a new song. I suspect it's a symphony of which your new song is an integral, unique, and irreplaceable part. You, and you alone, must sing it. 
alone, but with the symphony. In the beginning, God spoke all things into existence, or maybe he sang them into existence, because he spoke his logos, which means logic, or, or perhaps uh, rhyme, or, 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 or rhythm. It means meaning. In J.R. Tolkien's Cimmerillion, God sings creation into existence. In the Chronicles of Narnia, you might remember that Aslan the lion, he does the same thing. In India, people speak of God dancing creation. You know, a dance is the incarnation, the manifestation of, of a song, a, a logos, a rhythm, a logic. According to some physicists, all creation is like the vibration of, of meanings on superstrings in multiple dimensions. If that's true, singing a new song must be like surrendering to the eternal song that constantly surrounds us, in which we live and move and have our being. It must be less like mastering a trade and more like giving birth to life, a life that we did not create, but that creates us as we surrender to the song. You see, when you sing a new song, someone else is singing you. Anyway, David said, I waited. And in other psalms, we are, just like we're commanded to sing a new song, we're commanded to wait. And, and I think all sin, all sin must be a form then. All sin is a form of not waiting for the Lord. So we get drunk. We attempt to lose our life in a bottle of wine because we can't wait to lose our lives in the spirit of our Lord. We fornicate because we can't wait for the communion that is our God. We murder because we can't for wait, we can't wait for, for the righteousness that is Jesus. We satiate our desires with every manner of sin because we can't wait for the Lord at whose right hand are pleasures forevermore. We sin. Or worse yet, we invent religion. That may be the worst sin. Instead of waiting for the Lord, we pretend that the things we do are the Lord. We fake love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, and self-control. We pretend that the kingdom of God is something that we can manufacture with church budgets and classes and how-to workbooks. We teach classes. We teach classes on how to receive the Holy Spirit. When Jesus said, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, go back to Jerusalem and wait. When you wait for a person, you refuse to do what that person will do, or at least you refuse to do it without them. To wait is to sacrifice your will to their will. Waiting is, is a sacrifice. So, waiting is hard. <laughs> and it, it often hurts. But if you never learn to wait, you never learn to love. And you trap yourself alone in hell. Spoiled children can't wait. So they're utterly miserable. You know, I used to buy my son a Hot Wheels car every time we went to Safeway. 
And one day I said to John, no, not today. You're going to have to wait. It's not because he was bad. It's not because I couldn't afford Hot Wheels. It's not because he was bad, but because I wanted him to know the good. I wanted him to know that I am not an object, a vending machine. I'm not an object that he can control. I'm his father who freely wills to love him. Freely wills. At one point, Jesus healed the bodies of everyone he met. It was like getting a Hot Wheel every time you went to Safeway with Dad. Later, Jesus seemed to heal only some. And in the end, he wouldn't even heal himself. Or the thieves hanging next to him on the cross. He wouldn't even heal himself. And yet, he was healing everyone. And everything. In the garden, he waited. And then he prayed, not my will, but thy will be done. And then on the tree, he cried out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He is the root and the offspring of David. David writes, I waited. And then verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed, happy is the man who makes the Lord his trust. What a phrase. Who does not turn to the proud or to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, look, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your, your will, your pleasure. Oh my God, I delight. Sometimes in the Psalms, it's helpful to stop and ask yourself, who's talking? Is this David or, or, or somebody else? In the scroll of your book, it is written of me, I delight to do your, your pleasure. Oh, my God, your law, your Torah is within my meye. Should be translated gut or, may, or maybe womb. Your Torah is in my gut, your law. In, in Deuteronomy 17, God tells the Israelites that when they enter the land and desire a king, that king is to write uh, the law in a book and keep it with him at all times. That law, the law, might refer to, to all the law, but it at least, at least refers to God's law for kings, which is in verses 16 and 17 of Deuteronomy 17. Uh, the law is that the king must not acquire, this is a great law, must not acquire too many riches for himself and that his heart must not be lifted above his brothers. He must be servant of all, even slave of all, last of all. Saul was the first king, but he was rejected. He was rejected for he wouldn't sacrifice to the Lord what the Lord desired for him to sacrifice. He wouldn't sacrifice his own will to God's will. David was the second king, and he waited on the Lord. He wasn't perfect, but he did sacrifice his will to, to God's will. God told Saul that this was the sacrifice he desired, obedience. 
which is steadfast love and mercy, which in David looked like a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Jesus is the last king. And Jesus sacrificed himself, fulfilling the entire law. He prayed, not my will, but thy will, which is utterly fascinating, thy will, because Jesus is the will of God. The will of God, the word of God, the song of God. So it's as if he numbered himself, he identified with himself with us, the transgressors. It's as if he sings the song of faith and grace within us who have trapped ourselves alone in the illusion of our own sovereignty. It's as if he descends into our hell and helps us confess our sins and believe as if he is God in us, willing and working for his own good pleasure, as the Apostle Paul put it. As if a good will in you and a good work in you is the spirit of Jesus in you. sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. You know, God clearly instructs Israel to make sacrifices in the sanctuary, but here in verse six, David or someone says, in sacrifices and offerings you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Literally translated, this is what the Hebrew says, ears you have dug for me. The translator changes it to make sense of it in a few words for us, but the psalm reads, ears you have dug for me. In Exodus uh, 21, Deuteronomy 5, God gives instructions to masters of, of Hebrew slaves. In the seventh year, they were to set them free and liberally grant them with gifts in order that they could start a, a new life. However, if a slave said, I love my master, I want to serve my master. In other words, I want to sacrifice my will to, to his will, for his will is good. Well, then the master was instructed to place the slave's ear against the doorpost. And taking an awl, he was to bore a hole or dig a hole through the, servant's, through the servant's ear. And that hole in his ear would be a sign to everyone, this slave delights to do his master's will. It is his pleasure. Now think about that. If a slave delights to do his master's will, the will of his master, Adonai in Hebrew, if he delights to do his master's will, is he in bondage or is he free? Jesus only did what he saw his father doing and he took the form of a slave. Was there ever a person more free than Jesus? The last of all and servant of all. It gets weirder, check this out. The author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 40, verses six through eight, but with some utterly fascinating twists. This is Hebrews chapter 10, verses five through seven. When Christ, or literally he, when he came into the world, which raises an interesting question, when did he come into the world, the Word. I mean, the Word of God has been coming into the world from the beginning, right? God spoke the Word into the void. From the beginning, even if His coming wasn't made manifest to us until along about zero or 30 AD, when He came into the world, He said, He said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Instead of saying, ears you have dug for me, 
He says, a body you have prepared for me. Now, this is what an ancient Greek translation of the Hebrew text also says. It's what some Greeks thought ears you have dug for me really meant, but it's also what Jesus thinks it really means. For he said, and I quote, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. A body you have prepared for me. What body is he talking about? Well, it would at least be the body that he walked around in along about 33 AD when he prayed, not my will be done, but your will be done, and then offered himself as the perfect sacrifice on the tree. I mean, it could be that body that we nailed to the tree, but it also must be David's body. Because Jesus is speaking through David in Psalm 40, along about 1,000 BC, and Jesus told us in the Revelation, we read it, I am the root and the offspring of David. It's David's body, which is Christ's body, and we are also Christ's body. And Christ is our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, like, like Paul writes. So a good free will in us is Christ at work in us. We're his body, his temple, his bride. It's us. And apparently all humanity, maybe even all creation, for as Paul wrote in Ephesians, this is the plan for the fullness of time to unite anakephaliah, remember, to bring together under one head, to anakephaliah, to unite all things in him. In the Revelation, John heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them praising God the Father and the Lamb on the throne, Revelation 5, 9, they sing a new song saying, worthy are you? The old song is, I'm trying really, 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 really hard to be worthy. The new song is, worthy are you? The old song is, we are salvation. The new song is, Yahweh is salvation. Yahshua, Jesus. Heaven is a symphony of songs all to the tune of Yahashua Jesus. Untold billions and billions of songs all to the tune of absolute, eternal, and amazing grace. Heaven is a symphony of songs. Just as a living body is a symphony of sacrifice. For what is a living body? It's one molecule sacrificing its autonomy for another. It's one cell sacrificing its will for the will of another or the will of all. You see, that's why you're not a sack of amoebas. Did you know that? You're not a sack of amoebas or protozoa. You are a living man or a woman because your body is constructed with a symphony of cells. A living body is one body part sacrificing for another body part and for all. It's each body part losing its life and finding it. In other words, bleeding. A river, a river of, of life. Heaven is a symphony of songs, just as a living body is a symphony of sacrifice. Sacrifice to God, who is love. In this is love, writes John. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
When one person sacrifices, it looks like a man hanging on a tree. When two people sacrifice, it looks like a good and happy marriage. When all people sacrifice, it's a great congregation. It's the body of Christ. It's the kingdom of heaven. We all want heaven, but we're terrified to sacrifice. We don't believe that on the other side of the flaming sword, the consuming fire, the veil, and the judgment seat is an entire new creation. What happened to those bulls that were offered to the fire? What, what happened to the sheep and the goats and even the Canaanites and the Amalekites that were all sacrificed to Yahweh? Revelation 21.5, look, I make all things new, says the word of God from the very throne of God, the judgment seat of God. God, God, told, God told Saul, and you can look this up in 1 Samuel 15, also in Psalm 50. He told Saul and he told the Israelites, look, I don't need sheep and goats. <laughs> They're all mine. I made them. I don't need sheep and goats. I need you to surrender your sheep and goats. I want you to sacrifice your will to my will, yourself to me. I want you to sacrifice your, Paul writes it, present yourself a living sacrifice. We all want heaven, but we're terrified to sacrifice. We're terrified to lose our lives and find them. We all want heaven, but we're terrified to love. Who is God? Jesus is the word of God, song of God, and will of God. He is the will to love. And love binds everything together, wrote Paul. Love binds everything together into what? A great congregation. Uh, the kingdom of heaven, and heaven is like totally, absolutely happy. Verse eight, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my gut. I have told the glad news of deliverance, salvation in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. David is singing the new song in 1000 BC. I have not hidden your deliverance, your salvation within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Why would anyone be tempted to hide the new song from the great congregation? Well, you know, we know, it's the offense, the offense of the gospel. Nothing as, 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 is as offensive to all of our old songs as the new song. Nothing is as offensive to human flesh as the song of God's grace. And yet David sings it. Jesus sings it. He sings it to the great congregation. He sings it to everybody, for everybody is actually one body, whether they know it or not. You see, God is not just interested in healing your body. He's healing everybody if we were all one body. And to do that, we must each learn a new song. Verse 11. 
As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evil have, evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities, my iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. See, David is not singing to his own glory. That's the old song. David is singing to God's glory. That's Jesus. David is singing his new song and the new song. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help. Azer, that's the word Azer, to help me. Check it out. David is an Adam who has found his helper, his Azer. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord, Yahweh. As for me, I am poor and needy. But Adonai, the Lord, takes thought for me. You are my help and my Savior. Do not delay, O oh my God. The new you is a new song. And heaven is a symphony of new songs. But to sing the new song you must learn to wait. <clears throat> you know what sound that is? That's the sound of musicians in an orchestra not waiting. That's the sound of each person tooting their own horn whenever they want to toot it. We often and rather foolishly refer to that as freedom. But this is the sound of musicians in an orchestra waiting to toot their own horn. This is the sound of musicians sacrificing their will to the will of the conductor. This is beauty and freedom and life.
heaven is like that second sound. And yet that first sound gave birth to the second sound. It was the sound of an orchestra tuning their instruments so that they could play the symphony. Tuning an instrument is learning what sounds or what discordant notes to not play. See, this fallen world is like that first sound. Evil is a lack of harmony with the word, and sin is not waiting to toot your own horn. And yet even sin and evil make you long for the beauty. They make you long for, for the good. So you might freely choose to play the music, that is, sing a new song, the, the new song, sing the new song, and your song, which is what you alone can sing, for you alone know when, where, and how to sing it because the conductor lives in the sanctuary of your own soul. I waited and waited for the Lord, and he put a new song in my mouth. You're not waiting for the train, as if the Lord were a machine. You're not waiting for a healing, as if the Lord were a bottle of aspirin. You're not even waiting for instructions as if the Lord were some sort of formula or law. You're waiting for the lover of your soul. And we do not know what he will do except that it will be good and it will be absolute grace. People always want to know, how do I save my marriage? Tell me, Pastor. How do I heal the sick? How do I speak in tongues and evangelize the world? How do I get God to work for me? You don't. He's not your totem. Remember? He's not your totem, but you are his temple. The Greeks had a legend that Amphion, a son of Zeus, built Thebes by playing his lyre, his guitar, whatever it was, that he, he, he played the music so beautiful, so beautifully, the music was so beautiful that it became incarnate in the stones. And these living stones, they danced themselves into place. Well, that's not actually how Thebes was built, but it is how Jerusalem is built. God sings a song that becomes incarnate in the body of his son. Then we become that very body, the living stones that form a city that is a temple, that is a body and a bride, a dancing bride. So people always want to know, what do I do? You wait. Your entire life in this world is waiting. And yet even in this world, the song will sometimes manifest in a sign and a wonder. But it will always manifest as a work of love. Worship is waiting. Shabbat, Sabbath, is waiting. Prayer is waiting. Meditation is waiting. Faith and hope are waiting for love. And in this is love. The Logos took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you.
And in the same way, he took the cup, saying, this is the covenant in my blood. Drink of it, all of you. Psalm 40, verse 8. Your Torah, your way, your logos, your song is in my gut. So come to the table. Put the song in your gut and allow the Lord to put a new song in your mouth. And so David writes, I waited and waited and the Lord put a new song in my mouth. Wouldn't you like to know the situation in which David waited? And what exactly happened when the new song came? But he doesn't tell us. It's enough for you to know that you wait. You all are waiting. We, we all wait, and it's the Lord that puts the new song in, in our mouth. You know, at the end of the psalm, David is still waiting. Did you notice that? He says, do not delay, O Lord. Wait for the Lord. For the Lord we're waiting. Wait for the Lord. And yet, he's here, isn't he? So what do we mean when we say wait for the Lord? I think we mean we're waiting for him to do something. And yet he's doing everything all the time. So what do we mean? I think we mean something like this. We're waiting for him to do something that would break the illusion of our own sovereignty. And yet, you know, I think if that truly happened, we just might try to crucify him. Or we might just go up in a puff of smoke and fire. And so what does he do? He manifests in miracles here and there, maybe a sign or a wonder, a sunset, a flower, your neighbor. You sing a little bit. But you see, maybe it's not really us that's doing the most waiting. I suspect that he's waiting for us. He's waiting for us to wait for him. To wait for him in the deepest, darkest corners of, of our soul. He's waiting for us to say, come, Lord Jesus, and actually mean it. So believe the gospel and wait. And you will sing a new song. You will. Have courage. Have courage. If you'd like to stay here and wait a bit longer, that's why we're continuing worship after, after the service. Vince is going to continue to lead us in worship. If you'd like prayer, we invite you to come down front and stand in the river. That's what this symbolizes, the river of grace that flows from the throne. There'll be staff people, um, prayer people down front. They'd love to pray with you. If you'd like to visit, we invite you to go to the, to the foyer. So if you'd talk down in the foyer, that would, that would be great. But whatever you do, wait. You know, I have seen God do things that just blew the doors off my wagon. 
I really have. I mean, as a young man, I thought, no, that stuff is just a bunch of junk they make up at church to trick people into tithing. Um, but I've seen it. And yet it's entirely frustrating to me because I don't know how to make it happen other than to wait. And check this out. Your waiting doesn't make it happen because then it's not waiting, is it? It's manipulating. And so may we wait and may we trust that we will sing a new song. We sing it every now and then, but one day this whole universe will be filled with the song. And every creature will sing, and we will dance, for we are the temple, the body, the bride of the living Lord. So in Jesus' name, believe the gospel and keep waiting. There's another word for that. You know what that word is? Hope. In Jesus' name, hope.